0: I'm here talking to Kendall. I'm here talking to Annie. And today we're doing a domestic violence double feature with the stories of Stacey Feldman and Connie Jones. Content warnings are for domestic violence, sexual assault, and righteous anger. Come join us on Patreon. We have a general support tier as well as a tier that gets you three bonus episodes a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think we have like 18 in there right now. Plenty. Yeah. Tons. You can follow us on Instagram at tellnoonepodcast or send us an email at tellnoonepod at gmail.com. Sources are in the show notes. Everything's alleged, but this is definitely tell no one. Enjoy. All right. So like I mentioned, we might do a little two, two stories in one with a common theme. But the thing with this is the theme is like, not very good. <laughs> like I didn't like they're not really the like. Well they are, they are, but they're not like super connected as as like our foliage you episode was on the Patreon or Bad Doctor. Yeah. Um it, the uh so it might not happen that way. <laughs> they're barely connected. <laughs> they're 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 connected but they're not strongly at all. <laughs> like it doesn't really make any sense. <laughs> so we might just have one. We'll find out. Okay. We've got Stacy Melman Born in Indiana, youngest of three sisters, small town. Um, She spends her mid-20s living in Chicago. Um, And in 1998, she moves to Boston to help with her sister, Susan, who just gave birth. And she ends up being her nanny for like six months. Cute, fun. Yeah, they're really close. Um, She's great with children, but she really wants her own family. So she's looking for the perfect match and maybe will except the first man that comes along because she wants to have that family so badly. Well, I mean, women are made to feel like you better do everything you want right now, bitch, before you turn 30. Right. I get her being like, fuck. I better do that then. So she agrees to a blind date um, set up by a mutual friend to see this man, Bob Feldman. And they hit it off and they get married at the Ritz in Montreal. Cute. I know. I do feel like... Before the year, like, 2015, by hitting it off, do you mean, like... Didn't hate each other? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. They have two children, a girl and a boy. They're living in the suburbs of Denver, Colorado. She makes tons of friends wherever she goes. Like, she's still in touch with her sisters and her Chicago friends. And now she's, like, making, like, mom friends in Colorado. We're all over the world. Yeah, she's been everywhere. Man. Man. So Bob and Stacy have a pool at their house. So they entertain a lot, of friend's family, and just like people in the neighborhood. She's very um, like well-known. So March 1st, 2015, there's like a children's carnival at their synagogue. They're Jewish. So Bob drops the kids off at their religious school that morning at like 830. And Stacy is planning to pick them up around noon. But she doesn't show up. Mm. Um, school starts calling her. She doesn't answer. So they call the school calls Bob uh and he's like I'll go get the kids from school and then I'll bring them to the carnival too. I'm I'm in no real hurry to find out where my wife is. We're in 2015. Yeah. Okay. We are now living in a time of like immediate contact. No. Why can't I contact her? We're in the year 2015. Right. Yeah. And it's they talk to a police officer about this and he's like not only would i think you would be worried wouldn't you maybe like be a little pissed yeah <laughs> what the fuck i'm at work yeah why didn't you show up to get them but he's not doing it any of those things um so they don't return home until around three and when he gets inside the shower is running and he finds her at the bottom of the shower like in the tub um she's unresponsive so at 3 21 p.m he calls 911 and says please help me my wife's not my wife's not breathing. He tells the dispatcher that she must have like collapsed in the shower and they are instructing him on how to do CPR. When EMTs get there they attempt to resuscitate her but she has no signs of life. It appears that she had had a medical event um like in the shower, but a homicide detective does come to the scene, Randy Dennison, and he thinks this is strange because she's only 44. Mm-hmm. Like 44-year-olds don't usually drop dead in the shower for no reason they talk to bob and he says yes i left at 8 30 that morning to bring the kids to religious school and i haven't come home until now a little after three and i found her in the shower with the water's running and it's cold i pulled her out and called 911 and tried to do the cpr they told me um but i can't remember if she was laying face up or face down okay I've never encountered a dead body of a loved one. I don't know what I might be aware of or not. Yeah, I wouldn't. I don't know. But I do kind of think that you'd remember if you looked at her. In her face. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I think that would be jarring enough that you'd be like, no, I walked in and like looked at her. Like vacant eyes. Yeah. Yeah. He also was like, not for nothing. Um, We went to a party last night and she took some edibles. So maybe that has something to do with it. I got it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, marijuana killing people. Marijuana making you die in the shower tomorrow. Mm. <laughs> He's also like, she's on a few different prescriptions for arthritis and nerve pain. She has like neck pain and stuff. So like maybe it interfered, or maybe she took an overdose by accident. That would be alcohol. Right. Not weed. Um, there are no indications of an intruder or like a violent altercation in the home. The shower caddy, though, there's, like, a metal shower caddy in her shower. It had fallen, and, like, all the shampoo was scattered. Mm. Well, there's, like, some sh- scattered products, but then there's another, like, rack with with stuff that hasn't fallen. Okay. Like, they can tell which way she probably fell? Yeah. Yeah. So, Randy Dennison, the homicide detective, looks at her body, and there are bruises all around her. Okay. There's someone, her face, arms, nose, abdomen. And he's like, is this from her being pulled out of the tub, like roughly like over the, cause it's one of those showers with like a, Sliding. So it's like oh, that rough that metal. Could be, that could hurt. That hurts yeah. a lot. I feel like I've stepped on that before. Yeah. I think I've like fallen on that before. <laughs> it hurts like a motherfucker. <laughs> so they're like those notoriously awful things yeah. that could have roughed her up, especially if someone's pulling her with like no regard for hurting her. Like they're trying to save her life. What well, if you're frantically pulling her out? Yeah. You're not like, oops. <laughs> there was also two transdermal fentanyl patches on her body. What? Um this could be for her nerve pain. She like has chronic pain. But two is weird. And they're like, so was this did she forget maybe she had one on and like had Applied an accidental another. yeah, overdose? Because fentanyl obviously is like super dangerous. Um so they don't treat this as a crime scene off the bat. They don't collect any evidence and they don't coordinate it off or anything. I would, man. Look, I'm, not a, de- me? I'm not a de- <laughs> detective, but if it were me... <laughs> I would have cordoned that thing off real fast. Put the tape up, guys. Calling my best men. Well, anytime a man finds his wife... <laughs> finds, finds his wife. <laughs> <laughs> I came home and found my wife dead. Like, mm-hmm. okay. <laughs> so he does notice that she is still wearing a watch um it's a gold and silver dress watch and he's like she probably wouldn't shower with that watch on duh like fucking duh what are you talking about randy will come and really help but for right now he's being a little idiot okay her sister susan who's in boston is notified by her father about stacy's death she's like absolutely devastated obviously all of her friends are like overcome with grief about this and the and it it's worse because they have no idea what happened. There's still like no obvious cause of death. They're just like, she just dropped dead, Mm -hmm. but they do say like, okay, so she wasn't like the healthiest woman in the world. She recently had a ski accident, had broken a few ribs. She had chronic pain. So she was like on a lot of medication. Uh, So we don't know. And she, um, she had slipped on ice the night before. So like, did she hit her head, like have a little Bob Saget moment? The mom from Parent Trap. The mom from Parent Trap moment. I'm fucking afraid. Of a that. lot of people. I'm fucking afraid. I'm very afraid of that. I think about it all the time. So Susan, her sister, visits her grave, and while she's there, she says that she felt like a chill come over her, and heard her sister say to her, "Susan, something's not right, and you have to do something about this." Oh, I got a chill. Yeah, she was like, "Oh, heard you, girl." So Susan's looking back on Stacy's relationship with her husband, Bob, and is like, never liked him, frankly. Bob, he didn't have much ambition, um, for example, and he was like a a scammer, kind of. Like, he was just like always trying to... Not work hard and make a lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> so she would say when they would go on vacation, he would bring a broken suitcase to the airport take it off like the carousel and be like you broke it tell customer service that they broke it and for his pain and suffering he would like to be reimbursed for a more expensive suitcase and it worked every single time yeah i think you it's like what do you why do you need so many suitcases (laughs) (laughs) you know every time i go there for i get a hundred dollars but she's (laughs) just like that's bob i'm like that is gross i agreed um they struggled financially obviously so stacy went back to work after having her children even though she didn't really want to and one time, one of her Chicago friends, Jan, and another one of her friends, visited Stacy for Jan's birthday, and Jan and her friend wanted to check on her dating site profile. Um, so they like log on to her computer, and when they opened it up, they saw that Bob had an active profile and had a date scheduled for that night. Oh, they do not tell Stacy, "Oh my God, you have to." One day, a woman shows up on their doorstep and tells Stacy that Bob had been giving her money and they have been sleeping together. All the, all the money we don't have. All oh, the money from the, the Suitcase gag. gag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so she's thinking about leaving and they have separated a few times and she even met with a divorce attorney, but he kept claiming he was going to change. Um, the house was only in his name and he would tell her he would leave her with nothing and take the children from her. So she is scared. Mm. Um, sister Susan calls Detective Randy Dennison and tells him that she's like, Bob killed my sister for sure. Like, I'm sure of it. Um, and Randy's like, okay, I have been thinking about this. <laughs> it is weird that the f- like the bathroom floor wasn't wet after Bob allegedly dragged her body wet and nude out of the shower to perform CPR. So two months later, they get the autopsy report. And it is labeled an undetermined death. Thank you. That's very helpful. (laughs) They're like, we don't know if it was an accident. We don't know if it was natural. We don't know if it was a homicide. We don't know anything. Why are you here? (laughs) Right. (laughs) We're paying you for what? (laughs) She had dozens of scrapes and bruises, but none of which would have been causing her death. Yeah, but like they are maybe indicative of like a home life vibe. Like why? Or a struggle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or one big fight. Um, she had a mild case of hardening of the arteries, but it was not, like, gonna kill her any minute. Like, it wasn't like she's gonna drop dead. Down the line, it would have been a problem, but... Like, it your doctor been. might tell you to, like, lay off the fucking salt. Lay off the salt and up the oatmeal. Yeah. Um, but And she had no fentanyl in her system. Uh, Those patches just for fun? <laughs> <laughs> so, the detective calls bob again and like records these calls because he's like tell me about your day again bob like let's see walk me through and he changes his fucking story now he says he came home around noon to clean the garage and the detective is like look i'm not one to judge but the garage did not look like it had been cleaned recently and also why would he come home in the middle of the day to clean his garage Strange. he also said he went to the park to work out He's like, yeah, I, I jogged around the park and I did some push-ups on the park benches. And they're like, first of all, that doesn't look like it's a usual activity for you, Bob. And it was snow. There's snow on the ground. So when Stacey didn't show up to pick up the kids, they called their dad, Bob, for a ride. Um, and he's like, yep, be right there. But he didn't come and get them for another hour. So if he was at home cleaning the garage, go grab him and come home. Unless you're doing something that you can't have them interrupt yes and if the the park is also nearby so if he's jogging in the park he would have had plenty of time to get there as well okay no we have no angle here where it would take you an hour to go, go no, get them no not at all okay if you were home around noon wouldn't you be even more worried about like well where are hell where is, is their mom then if she's not home and not getting them right okay He also says after he dropped them off at Temple that morning, he stayed around like for a little bit after for a ceremony that they were having. Um, They check up. There was no ceremony. So Randy Dennison gets a voicemail from a woman who claims she has a story about Bob. I bet a lot of women do. Yeah. Her name is Susan McBride. So this is another Susan, not the sister, not Sister Susan um susan mcbride in february 2015 is living in denver she's single and she meets a guy named bob on tinder the idea of like a 40 year old being on tinder i know susan mcbride's like awesome though she has like silver hair and moved to italy cool she's so yeah i mean men like women are different we can do whatever we want right (laughs) they meet at a coffee shop She says he's, like, smiley, laughing, personable. He said that he's been separated for a few years and is, like, filing for divorce. um, And they set up another date. But when they're walking out of the coffee shop, he, like, aggressively just, like, kisses her. Mm. And she's kind of like, ew, no. But they could keep the second date. He emails her, quote, I think I'm supposed to wait three days to contact you, but I don't follow the rules. Wow, you're wonderful. He offers to bring wine over to her place that night. And she's like, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't even know your last name. So she emails him back and is like, I'm, what's your last name? And it took him all day to respond. And eventually he says, Wolf, Bob Wolf. And she Googles this and nothing comes up. But she sees a profile on LinkedIn of a man named Robert W. Feldman with this guy's picture. So it's his middle name. Wolf. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> Deadass, cool. <laughs> Unfortunately, cool. Um why are we being that weird? I'm not sure. You know what I'm baffled by? What? When men don't even have their right their one life together, like we're broke, dude. They're ready to start anew? And they're already looking out for other shit to, yeah. to do and like paying for a date, whatever the fuck you're doing. Fuck you. We're broke, Bob. <laughs> <laughs> I can't make the mortgage this month, Bob. Okay. So now that she has his last name, she can easily find his wife. Um, and she sees pictures of them and they're like clearly still together. A married couple with children? Yeah. It's a hard thing to see. A freak. I, yeah. A oh, freak. <laughs> it's freaky to see. <laughs> um, so Susan emails him and says, You're a lying asshole, Bob Feldman. Don't ever contact me again. He's blowing up her phone. Um, She eventually answers and he's like, please let me explain. I have had a stalker, which made me hesitant to share my full name. Men don't have them. No, men don't get stalked. They don't. They don't. Um, And he's like, I want to explain this to you. Like I have a whole story. So he goes over to her place for dinner with a half empty bottle of wine. And he says, "My wife, Stacy, is an absentee mother who just like does her own thing. She's never around. Um, we're separated, and we take turns in the house, like Ben Affleck and Jennifer Garner Garner. she believes it. She, they sleep together that night. Oh, I hate that for her, but mm-hmm. you're not dumb, girl. I would probably believe that. Oh yeah, vagina transplant. what? You want to get a vagina transplant." <laughs> yeah (laughs) yeah you would um they make plans for the following weekend and when it rolls around bob cancels and she texts him like fucking forget it dude like you're like your life is frankly too complicated i'm i don't want to be involved yeah no response so she goes online again to double check his story and she easily finds that his wife stacy feldman is the president of the pta for her children's school she's not an absentee mother you fucker yeah she emails stacy Good. I'm into that. Yeah. I don't care. Good. No, rock on. She emails Stacy, and Stacy writes back and says, we're not separated. And then, so Susan's like, okay, do you want to call? Like, we can talk on the phone. They talk on the phone. Susan says Stacy was so nice. She wasn't angry and said, I'm so sorry he lied to you. What a fucking woman. And she said, I'm done with him. Like, I'm over it. Um, They don't speak again. Months late, later... Susan sees Stacy's obituary online and she freaks out when she sees that she died the day that they talked on the phone. She's like, I don't know. It didn't have cause of death. She's like, so I didn't know if she had like died by suicide or like he had done something. But either way, she died hours after I the talked The day to her she found out that he had cheated on her. And said, I'm like, I'm done with him. Yeah. I'm going to confront him about that. Yeah. Khloe Kardashian. <laughs> Important. <laughs> wow. Important state. <laughs> Why did she do that she Didn't graduate high school? Mm-hmm. They also find out he cashed in on a $750,000 life insurance policy. So this is when Susan calls Randy Dennison. And now here we are. Mm-hmm. We meet another woman, Stephanie. Her stepson died by suicide when he was 13. Her and her husband separate, but her daughters are struggling with losing their brother so they go to a grief counseling group. This is where she meets a man there with his two children, Bob. He's into her. He's, he asked for her number. Dude, you're picking me up at the grief counseling center. But he didn't call for months. When he did call, he was like, hey, hey, baby, my kids are at summer camp for three weeks. If you know what I mean. It's a sleepover camp. Um, we could hang out, swim, have dinner. So she goes over and is kind of immediately like, oh, I've made a mistake. Okay. He tells her that Stacy died of cancer. Why are we lying? The real thing to public knowledge right now would be fine. Yeah, but like we don't know. Isn't I don't that know. awful? If she had a medical event in the shower, she fucking died. Isn't that the worst shit you've ever heard? Yeah, you don't need to fucking lie. No. So they're swimming. He loves his pool. Um, they go inside and Stephanie goes to the master bedroom bathroom to change out of her swimsuit. Mm. When she comes out, he is standing in the bedroom and starts kissing her. She's freaked out. She's like survival mode at this point, And he sexually assaults her. Oh, my God. Okay. Afterwards, he tells her, like, look how isolated my house is. Like, you could scream as loud as you want. No one would be able to hear you. She dips out after that. Can you believe it? (laughs) Three weeks later, she feels like she's getting an infection. So she goes to the ER where she, you know, reports on like the form that she had, quote, sex against her will. Mm -hmm. And by protocol, the hospital notifies the police. Okay. And when she talks to one of the officers, he lets her know that Bob is currently being investigated for murdering his wife. And she's like, what? Oh, my God. Um, she declines to press charges against him at this point for the sexual assault. And the murder investigation is stalled. There's no new evidence. So Susan, her sister, Stacy's sister, talks to, she's still like on a crusade, like a woman, one woman crusade in Boston. She talks to a relative who's a clinical psychologist who says, okay, your sister's relationship sounds like domestic violence, and you should talk to some of my friends over at the Training Institute on Strangulation Prevention um so they get hooked up with them and they tell us that you can easily strangle someone to death and leave no external marks and it is often missed in autopsies i had no idea about that yeah they're like you want to kill someone easy no one will never know strangle them or suffocate them i know that yeah great um dennison um, and the prosecutor set up a meeting with the Institute's medical expert, Bill Smock. He testified in the trial of Derek Chauvin, the officer who murdered George Floyd. Mm. So he's an expert on like suffocation and, and asphyxiation. He reviews Stacey's case and he sees that she had a chipped tooth that was probably caused by blunt force trauma, AKA someone pressing against her nose and mouth. Oh, wow. She had petechial hemorrhaging, which is like the blood vessel popping and venous congestion caused by pressure to her chest and neck. She also had scrapes and abrasions inflicted when she was still alive because it like left marks, so it doesn't come from pulling out of the bathtub. Okay. She had more than 80 of those. They had a big fucking fight? Yes. She had bleeding under her scalp from multiple blows that looked like a prolonged beating. How would they not? see that come on i don't know and can you even get a bruise from if it if it happened after you fucking died i don't think so so it wouldn't have happened from him pulling her out they think she might have been like barely clinging to life maybe okay like blood pumping yeah barely. like maybe brain dead but like blood pumping okay so it's possible but but like no. your skull all of it yeah you got killed yeah she had multiple bruises on the back of her hands, clearly defensive injuries. They believe that she was still dressed when she died and was put um, into the bathtub nude. And they believe she was put on top of an already collapsed shower caddy because there's an imprint of the caddy on her chest, but no bruising there. So she was already dead when when she was put on top of the caddy. Okay. Got it. Um, so clearly post-mortem. He concludes that she was asphyxiated. I'm gonna say that again. <laughs> he concludes she was asphyxiated, like a combination of strangling and suffocating. Uh, they get an arrest warrant for Bob, um, and in February 2018, so this is like three years later, he is charged with her murder. Um, the children are now 10 and 11, and they go live with Stacy's family, who they previously hadn't been allowed to see. Obviously, he had been keeping them from them. Preliminary hearing. The judge rules that the prosecution does not have sufficient evidence to justify holding Bob without bail. So he posts bail and is able to go home. He's on house arrest. He has like a ankle monitor. Um, he is using the life insurance Montess- 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 I cannot say life. insurance. <laughs> <laughs> he's using the life insurance money from her death to pay for his defense. Um, her family sues him for that. And a judge agrees and freezes the money, but he appeals. And the Colorado Supreme Court sides with Bob and allows him to use the funds. His trial ends up being delayed more than five times because now we're like up into 2020. So it's 2020, Bob has an ankle bracelet, he can't leave his house, no one can leave their house. But he gets in trouble for having people in his pool because he listed it on an app in which you can rent out your pool. I'm trying to make a buck. He's definitely trying to make a buck. And, like, ew, dude. I know. Why are you here? (laughs) There, um, okay, we meet another woman, Tracy. She meets Bob on a Jewish dating site. Um, They meet up at a park. Um, She hadn't seen him in the news. She doesn't know that he's. Can he go to a park? No. (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Um, He asks to see her again at his house. And he's like, yeah, it has to be at my house. I have some legal troubles. And she's like, absolutely not. (laughs) She's like, and that's the end of me and Bob. Um, He takes hourly bike ride or like hours long bike rides, but his neighbors like take pictures of him and like send it in. But nothing happens. What the fuck? Spring 2022 murder trial finally begins. The 911 operator testified that Bob did not sound out of breath while he was allegedly performing CPR on the phone. Oh my God. Pretending to be actively trying to help her. Yeah. Whoa. I want to hear it real bad. It's gross. After her death, he said he did not want an autopsy, which mm. is really fucking weird. And he changed his story for the timeline of the day. Also suspicious. Um, Stephanie, who he sexually assaulted, takes a stand and tells them that Bob told her Stacy had died from cancer. Weird fucking lie. Mm. Susan McBride uh, flies in from her new home in Italy to testify she reads the emails between them and testifies about the phone call with Stacy the day that she died hell yeah the strangulation doctor testifies and says that Bob likely straddled Stacy on the ground like knees on shoulders and suffocated and strangled her oh my god dude he then again that feeling of like being powerless I awful awful He undressed her and put her in the tub and forgot to remove the watch um, and maybe placed the patches, the fentanyl patches on her to, like, throw them off. Um, Maybe. And they hadn't, like, taken effect by the time. Because she's dead. Yeah. So the defense says it was a terrible investigation. They didn't even suspect murder at first. They didn't even cordon anything off. They didn't take any evidence, uh, which is true. They also do the whole, like, people grieve differently thing, um, explaining his weird behavior. They do say, okay, so Stacy and Susan talked on the phone, but we have no proof that Stacy had even a chance to confront Bob. There's no evidence of that. And then this is when they say she maybe was still a little bit alive when she was pulled from the tub explaining the abrasions and bruises that could have happened. They also call the original forensic pathologist who says she could not rule out... She could not rule the death a homicide. She still believes not it's undetermined. Yeah, she says, I stick by what I said, undetermined, I don't know. Um, and they like tear Dr. Smock apart. They're like, what does this guy know? He's hired by the family and he like gave them the answer that they wanted. Okay. The jury is set to deliberate. Not guilty. Now guilty. Guilty. He was found guilty. Yeah. And sentenced to life without parole. Um, both Susan McBride and sister Susan are like, they're friends now. Um, and they're advocating for domestic violence awareness. Um, gotta do it. Gotta do it. 1-800-799-SAFE. And so um, this just wrapped up last year. Yeah. The children have to be like, oh, I we've know. been living with a fucking animal. Ah! <laughs> what are we thinking? Do we want to do the other one? Why don't we? Okay. Part two. 2002, Natalie Collins is a lawyer, and she meets a forensic psychiatrist named Dr. Steve Pitt. And frankly, he's got it going on. (laughs) He has got something. I love Dr. Steve Pitt. We're in Phoenix, Arizona. He worked on Columbine and the Jean Benet case. Um, They eventually get engaged, and he has two sons from a previous marriage. May 31st, 2018, he's supposed to be meeting Natalie for dinner at like 530. Um, It's around that time and she texts him asking if he's coming and he responds 10 minutes max. And then an hour goes by and he's still not there. So she drives to his office and when she pulls up, she sees yellow tape and a bunch of police. Oh no. His car is in the parking lot. Um, Things are strewn all over the ground and they're not telling her anything. So she calls a friend of Steve's, who's a police officer, and he tells her that Steve had been shot and did not survive. A man had confronted him on his way out of his office. People heard shouts and gunfire. They develop a sketch of the suspect. Um, He looks like a white male and bald. She did not recognize it um, because Steve had shown her pictures of people over the years who he was maybe worried about. Um, and this was not one of them because he's like, I'm involved in some like pretty crazy cases. And if you see this freak in a parking lot run away, but she didn't recognize this guy. Okay, he had not warned her about him. No. The next day, there's another shooting in Scottsdale. Valeria Sharp, a paralegal at a law practice, was working at her desk when a man walked in and shot her in the head. She was able to walk outside and approach a car who called 911. The driver said, quote, she was running toward my vehicle. There was blood dripping from her face and she just lay down on the ground. She was rushed to the hospital and later died. Mm -hmm. When police get on the scene, they go into the law office and find a second paralegal. Laura Anderson had also been shot in the chest and is dead at her desk. How are we picking who to kill? Oh, God. They pretty quickly confirmed that these shootings are connected to the Steve Pitt one the day before. It's the same 40 caliber weapon. Mm. 10 hours later, um, there is another shooting. An adult male was shot twice in the head at an office building. It is Marshall Levine, a counselor and life coach in his office that he was subletting from another psychotherapist, Karen Colby. There are 40 caliber shells in the office, like same guy. They find DNA on a shell casing at the scene of Steve's murder, but there's no match in the system. Um, A man named Rick Anglin, um, who is a former Phoenix police detective and a current private eye, sees the news coverage of this and he is sure he knows who the killer is, baby. I believe in a private eye. Oh, yeah. Um, Years earlier, he had worked for a doctor, Mrs. Connie Jones. In 1984, Connie started dating a soldier stationed at Fort Bragg, Dwight Jones. She was 18. He's 22. It's her first boyfriend. They get married in 1988 after her first year of medical school. Uh, He leaves the army. He never works. He has like two or three days at a job and then leaves or is fired. They live on her financial aid from medical school. But dude, why are you worth nothing? (laughs) Please do something. Do anything, dude. What the Stop. fuck are you doing? Stop being you. <laughs> um, she does her residency in psychiatry and starts seeing some red flags with her husband. He would stay in bed for days at a time. He would become hostile towards her, verbally abusive, he would give her the silent treatment for a week at a time. Get out. She got into radiology, and this is where she will continue. And encourages him to get psychiatric help, which he refuses. Eight years of hell. She tells him I'm out, but he lays on the floor sobbing for three days straight and tells her it's because of his mental illness. Like, that's why I'm such a horrible husband. Okay. And begs her to stay. Like, I will fix things. But like, even if that were true, okay, you can be ill and like not, I don't get to, you don't get to ruin my life. Right. Yeah, like laying on the floor crying. Um, why are you manipulating me? Well, yeah, very like openly. In 1997, they have a son, um, and things improve for a bit. But I mean, it goes right back to where it was and worse. Yeah, she said the garage door would open and we wouldn't know he, who we were getting. Oh God! I know tummy ache. Now, physical abuse is beginning. Um, He knows where to hurt her, so it's not visible. He once broke her sternum. She's sleeping with a knife under her pillow. Okay, yeah, we're in hell. Uh, 2009, now he's starting to threaten the child. He's telling Connie that he's going to murder their son and then kill himself to make her suffer the most. To make me suffer. Right. I am, brother. What do you call this? (laughs) Take a (laughs) around. Yeah. She starts making her secret escape plan. She's gathering clothes, important documents, etc. She also contacts a family lawyer, um, Elizabeth Feldman, the law firm where the two paralegals were murdered. Oh my fucking God. Dude, kill yourself. Right. I beg of you. I beg of you. You're going to go around killing random people who helped your wife get away from you? Yeah. Yeah, I mean fuck is that (laughs) Uh, (laughs) she places tape recorders around the home and on may 6 2009 he is in their child's face screaming she tells him to stop um it's caught in the recordings he says um i'll take you out to this fucking pool and drown you um and if she called 911 they'd be all dead before they even got there oh my god man but she does call and the swat team comes the swat team comes and he holds the son hostage for over an hour. He um, eventually surrenders and is arrested. And she files for divorce, but he he ends up being allowed to plead guilty to misdemeanor to misdemeanor disorderly conduct for holding their son hostage and threatening to kill her and, and the threatening to kill her for over an hour. He gets twelve months of probation. I feel violently angry. <laughs> yeah, like. You had a David Koresh standoff. And you got probation. Yeah. Like we couldn't be in any more clear danger. Yeah. He's committed to a mental institution. Um, So during the 12-month probation, he he can't buy firearms. Just note that. He is deemed not an imminent threat um, by the psychiatrist in the institution, but they called Connie and told her you might need like 24 hours security. I would recommend that. Oh my fucking god! She so the, she, this is when she hires Rick Anglin, the private eye, to surveil him, basically. Yeah, I and would to have you know private, basically bodyguards for her and her son. Mind you, she's a doctor; she can afford to do this. Millions of women in poverty can't. Duh. Um, and like the idea that he can run your life like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, I'd like to remind you guys, they're getting divorced in 2009. The murders take place in 2018. This is almost 10 years after of like haunting her life. Yeah. So she left him and this is still happening. It's yeah. not like leave the relationship. Yeah. She did. So they tail him, they take pictures um of him like doing his daily shit. They look through his stuff. He has a book called Get Even 2: More Dirty Tricks from the Master of Revenge. <laughs> you're put on a watch list if you buy that so they have full-time security basically um her and her son and they move to three different secret homes throughout the years look terror you're living in terror you're being terrorized so during the child custody battle uh they meet with forensic psychiatrist dr stephen pitt Uh uh-huh stephen recorded their interviews and his report says, quote, without treatment, his mental state is going to continue to unravel. He will become increasingly paranoid, likely psychotic and pose an even greater risk for perpetrating violence. Read him, wrote him. (laughs) Um, So after his probation ends, Connie gets a restraining order. um, And now he he, he can't buy guns with the restraining order either. Um, I'd like to remind you, when I did DV work here in the courts, and I had to go to the restraining order hearings every week. It was like part of the conversation of like, well, he's a hunter. Like, are you sure you want to do this? Like, he won't be able to hunt because he can't have guns if there's a restraining order out. To the woman, are you sure you want to be that mean to him? Yeah. He won't be able to do a hobby anymore. Yeah. How much can we put on the line for women to like get to live and be alive and not murdered? And not be dead. To let men keep having like the... Fun they want to have in life. Right. Well, once again, it's like, so they're a little uncomfortable, but we're dead. In court, they'd be like, are you sure you want to take a hobby away from him? Are you sure you want to live that bad? Yeah. Like comparing men. Yeah. Male comfort to female like existence. Survival. Yeah. Like we are. I mean, it's valued less like it valued less. So their son starts seeing a therapist in 2009, Karen Colby. So Karen and Steve both present their findings um, in the divorce trial, so he would know who they are, you know? Um, and I'm sure they had to, in court, go up there and be like, uh, we have a maniac here in the room. Right. Can everyone I see that? <laughs> Point to the maniac you see <laughs> right over there. Um, in 2010, Connie is granted full custody, obviously, but it is mandated that Dwight have supervised visits with their son. How... And that kid can't even tell them I don't want to go. He, no. like, you have to go yeah. if they mandated it. Oh, my God. Dwight is also entitled to $6,000 a month in spousal support from Connie. Dude, I'm out. I'm, like, I'm over it. <laughs> I'm really fucking over <laughs> Cut the it. the cameras. <laughs> Beyond, like, they don't value female life. Like, if we live or die, men can kill whoever they want. And that is, like, totally cool and good. Yeah. Now we're down to like, and you should have to pay, pay him. him. To what? To, li- to do what? Yeah. She also has to pay for the supervised visits. All told he gets six hundred fifty thousand dollars from the divorce. Dude, you threatened to fucking kill me. Yeah. Oh yeah. Many, 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 many times. I don't know, man. We need a new we need to, uh, we need over. to do <laughs> We need to do something. <laughs> Who's doing something <laughs> like what the fuck are we going to do? Yeah. She could no longer afford the private eye services, but they stay on for her for free. Cause they're oh. like, um, he's going to kill you. The second we leave mm-hmm. in 2013, her final restraining order expires. And now he is free to purchase guns. Um, so he ends up staying at an extended stay hotel for years. Uh, that's where he lives Um, He does not get the court-mandated psychiatric help that he was, like, ordered to get. And nothing comes of that. How do they not... They don't follow up on that. Great. Another ball dropped. Um, By 2016, the spousal support ends, as do the visits with the son. I think the son is 18 now. So now they have no more connection with each other. They no longer have to see each other in court. So this is when he's really losing control for the last time, which might be why things start to pop off. Yeah. So, flash forward to Rick knowing that it's Dwight. Um, He calls the police and tells them the connection, and they're like, "We're on it. We got the PI calling. Yeah, we got to find this guy." So they start pulling surveillance footage from the crime scenes to look for his car, which is a gold two thousand one Mercedes. And they see it near Doctor Pitt's office the day of the murder, and by the law firm at the time of those murders. Mm. They find evidence that his car is in a suburb called Fountain Hills, and they spot him and surveil him. They watch him throw something away in a trash can and then they go and collect it. And it was a gun. (laughs) It was a 22 caliber though. Not a different gun. Different gun. Um, They get the DNA. They get DNA samples from Dwight's family um, and rush them to the lab. And it does match the DNA from the shell that was found at Steve's scene. Mm. Um, So while they're analyzing the DNA, detectives are tracing his cell phone data Before he had started being surveilled by them, they see that he had contacted residents of a home in Fountain Hills. So they send a deputy to check on that house, and he sees through an upstairs window that a man is clearly shot dead inside, and they go in and find a woman also shot dead. Oh my God, you've been killing all over town. It's Mary Simmons and Brian Thomas. Uh, Mary had played tennis with Dwight sometimes, but like that's kind of it. And the gun that was thrown into the trash can was theirs from their home. And they were killed with it. What the hell? So like he called them and came over over and then found their gun and killed them with it. I guess. June 4th, 2018, they follow him to his extended stay hotel. They secretly evacuate the hotel. Um, He begins like firing at everyone. It's like a fucking My Little Waco. They eventually enter and he is dead from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Fuck you. Do that off the top. Do that immediately. Allie Bones, the former director of the Arizona um, Domestic Violence Network, likes to point out that um, obviously the system failed. Connie and her family and everyone related to her and points out... The government knows how to crack down on crimes such as DUIs. You like immediately lose access to your car and go to prison for DUIs. But he was able to buy the guns and do whatever he wanted and never spent a day in jail for what he did. Yeah. I mean, I think that we have no question, right? That like, it isn't like they can't do anything about men killing people. Right. They don't. They they make an active decision not to. Um, Fun note connie and private eye rick got married in 2013 oh my god <laughs> mm-hmm. and i'm back oh um the idea of him keeping on her bodyguard yeah thing even when she couldn't afford it anymore because mm-hmm. you were in love dude mm-hmm. okay i'm back he's like i projected her wow oh, um we'll leave it on that girl <laughs> <laughs> try try again <laughs> So, I mean, sad, sad tale. And so the theme that I had here was messing (laughs) violence. But I guess it's a theme for, like, every fucking episode, basically. And every, like, crime. Right. Let me say the number one more time. Okay. It's 1-800-799-SAFE or 799-7233. I prefer people do it that way. Without the letters? Yeah, I'm I'm like, what? When I was a kid, I was like, what? (laughs) Do you fucking mean? (laughs) Yeah. Okay, tell no one...